Christianity has two parts. There's a constructive part and a destructive part. Um, the constructive part of Christianity, of course, is becoming like Jesus. Uh, but the constructive part of Christianity uh, is dependent upon the destructive part of Christianity. And that destructive part is about the removal of sin, the throwing off of the old self, uh, the, the old nature, the sin nature. Without that destruction, without the destructive part of Christianity, the constructive part of Christianity doesn't happen. So there are two parts of Christianity, and they work together. They're dependent upon one another. As we have studied through Psalm 119, we have seen this beautifully portrayed. It's a wonderful place to see all the different angles of the effort of the Holy Spirit to uh, construct and destruct the Christian. Uh, it's a commentary on the Christian life. So the author has been walking us through all the experiences that the Christian will go through to demonstrate the importance of God's Word in that process. And I, wanna, I want to help you to see that clearly today. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it to Psalm 119. Uh, and I want you to, instead of turning to the fourth stanza, I want you to look with me at the first stanza, the Aleph stanza. And if you recall, that stanza is particularly about a promise. It's a promise to those who will pursue holiness. And the promise, of course, is happiness. Uh, it's similar to what Jesus talks about in his Sermon on the Mount when he tells his, those who would follow to take up their cross and follow him. And then we get to the Beth stanza, or the Beth stanza, the second stanza starting in verse 9 of Psalm 119. And the author, since he's just promised happiness to those who will be holy, tells us how to be holy. You know, because being promised happiness is something that attracts all of us. And he says, okay, I've got your attention, now here's how you're to be holy. He, he goes through this in verses 9 through 16. He talks to us about storing up, speaking out, delighting in, and meditating on the Word of God. That is the path, if you will, to holiness. And then in these, these two stanzas, Gimel and Daleth, the third and fourth stanza, he has been describing for us the, con the consequences of those who are willing to pursue holiness as a way of life. And, and the reason he talks about it this way is because uh, whenever anyone decides to pursue holiness, they're, they're pursuing something that is, is opposite from what the world is pursuing. And whenever we pursue anything that's opposite of the world pursuing, we know what we're in for, don't we? We know that we're going to be alienated, we're going to be despised, we're going to be scorned, and he describes these things um, for us here in these two stanzas. But he teaches us in these two stanzas, verses 17 through 32, uh, how, we, how we will grow in our understanding of what it means to be a pursuer of holiness. And he calls it sojourning. He says that if you're going to pursue Christ, if you're going to pursue holiness, it's going to be a sojourning mentality, a person who understands that this world is temporary, that the only things that are important really are the things uh, in the spiritual world where, where uh, God is transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And I shouldn't say that the only things that are important are in the spiritual world. The physical world is critically important to us. It's, it's, it's where we live, right? We, we live in this body. We live 
uh, with an experience of physical things. And so I'm not, I don't want to suggest to you that, that the spiritual, I mean, the physical world is unimportant because it's not. It's critically important. In fact, in the future, when once we are uh, transported into the presence of Christ, it's going to be a, a physical experience as well as a spiritual one. We will have bodies in the next world. We will have uh, the ability to taste and smell and see and all these things. And so the physical world is critically important, but uh, these stanzas here teach us what it means to sojourn through this physical world. It teaches us how to recognize pride and deal with it. This, these two stanzas have taught us how to, to depend upon the Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and illumine our hearts. He says in verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. And so the longer that we walk with Christ, the more that we will join the Holy Spirit uh, with much anticipation in the construction of Jesus' image within us and the destruction of our, of our uh, sinful nature. So the more we'll depend on, uh, the more we walk in this world, the more we we'll depend on Christ, the more, the more we'll be uh, re rejoicing over his work in us and what he's doing, even though it's a, a painful process. It's, it, it's painful to become more and more like Jesus. It's not natural to us. But today, I want to point out something more from this stanza in uh, verses 25 through 32, and I'm going to read for you verses 29 through 32. Listen to these words from the psalmist. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness, I have set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Now these, these words here uh, that I just read for you um, are more important words for our spiritual development. Uh, this, again, this chapter, Psalm 119, is uh, a commentary on the Christian life, a commentary on God's working in us as we walk this path that he's put us on. But what is the author talking about in these few verses, verses 29 through 32? Why, why does the author in verse 29 plead that false ways be removed from his life? Again, think about construction and destruction. Why is he pleading with God to remove false ways from him. And I think it's because false ways are the natural inclination of our hearts. It, it comes very easily for us, doesn't it? I know it does for me. I don't have to work hard uh, at being false in any regard. Uh, it comes naturally to me. Uh, but in order to see the construction of the image of Jesus, we must destruct all that opposes him. So the author here is saying, God, please remove all this false stuff, all the false ways from me. Um, it's, it's really a prayer, isn't it? Verse 29. And of course, we know that praying is, is important in the Christian life. And it's one way that, that God instructs us to use to help this process out, to be formed in the image of Christ, to, to put away sinful ways, false ways through prayer. Now, this is what Psalm 19.13 also says. It says this, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. It's a similar prayer to that. Remember Jesus when he was about to be crucified, he was on, um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
And he told his disciples to pray. Why? To avoid temptation. And so uh, this is a prayer to God to put away false ways, to avoid temptations. We just heard Colossians 3 read to us. Um, look at Colossians 3, 5. It, it tells us that uh, there is destruction of the old self taking place in the Christian life. Put off the old way. Put off the old self. Put away sin. Uh, this is an ongoing theme throughout Scripture. Put to death what is earthly in us. Uh, and I think if there's anything earthly, it, it's got to be falseness, right? There's, there's nothing more earthly in us than that. So this morning I want to convince you to actually prefer the way of truth over the way of falseness. I know we say it, of course we say it, but we continually find ourselves uh, losing the battle, don't we, between these two things. And so I want to convince you to actually prefer the way of truth to any false way. And if there is a summary for today's sermon, it's this that the destruction, of sin, the, the destruction of the sinful nature is a work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. The destruction of the sinful nature is a work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Now, let me ask a uh, question that has an obvious answer. Do you desire spiritual growth? I would assume that everybody in this room would say yes or you wouldn't be here. Um, do you desire to become more like Jesus? Of course we do. Then, then listen, we must join the Holy Spirit in the destruction of all false ways by knowing and applying the Word of God. Do you want to grow to be like Jesus? You will never get there unless you join the Holy Spirit through the use of the Word of God to destruct your old nature and construct your new one. All right, The Word of God is critical here. And if you haven't figured it out yet, this is what Psalm 19 is, one of, is about, the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God to every single aspect of the Christian life. All right, so let's, let's break this down a little bit. Let's look closely at verse 29. Our first point here that I want to point out to you is the trouble of false ways. Are false ways trouble for you? I know they are for me. I would venture to say that if you're ever in trouble, it's because of false ways. The reason we get in trouble is because we've chosen a false way. Um, and um, this is what the author has in mind, I think, when he's um, writing this particular verse. Uh, the, the false ways he mentions here may be something that, that he confessed to God up in verse 26. Remember verse 26? When I told of my ways. Maybe those are false ways he has in mind. But there are a few false ways that I'd like you to consider. And I think there's many, but there's three basic categories I think, that uh, you'll appreciate. The first is this, false ways um, with respect to God. False ways with respect to God. Now, what does this mean? Well, I'm certain you've heard of this, false doctrine, false teaching, uh, false understanding of who God is. This is very common in our day. It, uh, to have false doctrine in a church that's in a postmodern culture should not surprise any of us. Uh, I'm not just talking about peripheral doctrine either, uh, like doctrine of the end times or, or doctrine of spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about those peripheral type doctrines. I'm talking about central doctrines, doctrines like the doctrine of God, who he is, his nature, uh, doctrines of Christ, his person and work, doctrine of salvation. How are we saved? 
These kind of doctrines are being perverted all over the place, often, every single Sunday in this country, maybe even in this city. There are churches out there coming up with ideas about God to make him more palatable to the general public because if we actually teach what the Bible says about God, it's, it's really going to diminish our attendance. And so we've got to come up with a way to communicate God to the public that isn't off-putting. And so they've, they've said things um, popularly like, let's not talk about sin. sin. Sin is kind of a downer. Who wants to be reminded that they're a sinner? And so let's just not talk about sin. Um, that that, that kind of cuts in to people's interest in coming to our church if they're told they're sinners. Um, in fact, how are we going to get sinners into the door if we teach that God hates sin? Let's just not talk about sin. I've got an idea for these churches that do this. How about teach that even though God hates sin, he sent his only son, Jesus, as a friend of sinners to deal with our sin problem. Isn't that a more reasonable approach? Because until we teach about sin, God's forgiveness makes no sense. Um, This is what Paul was concerned with even in his day. He wrote a letter to his disciple, Timothy, and he said this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That's doctrine, sound doctrine, that's the word, teaching, doctrine. They won't endure sound teaching about God, about Christ, about salvation. Instead, they'll have itching ears. Uh, They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll hire people to tell them what they want to hear, is what Paul's saying. So to embrace unsound doctrine is included in false ways of verse 29. Put false ways far from me. This is what what we need to consider when we're thinking about false ways. He's asking God to remove doctrine, false doctrine that's out of reach, remove it from him. He's asking God to guard his mind from wrong ideas about God. But I think also we can include false worship in false ways. And I'm talking about public worship like we're doing right now and private worship like you do in the privacy of your own home. Uh, I think these are included in false ways. So the question is, can't we worship God any way we please? I'd say yes, if you're allowed to make up any God you please. So if you want to make up a God, then you can worship him how you want. But since we have a God that's already well established, we ought to do what he says, don't you think? And he has a lot to say about this in Scripture. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that if we could resurrect Nadab and Abihu, they would disagree with this idea. Um, Nadab and Abihu, of course, you'll remember, were put to death because of false worship. They were put to death by God because of false worship. And so God really actually does care how we worship corporately. There are things that we should be doing and things we should not be doing. And if we do things that we should not be doing, those would be included in false ways, right? We have much to say about this, and I think it's very important, but I don't want to derail this sermon. 
Um, suffice it to say that we worship the way we do here in reverence with scripture and without entertainment for biblical reasons. In other words, there's a point to what we do here at Sun Valley Church. But I think we also need to consider, if we're talking about false ways, not only uh, our false teaching or false doctrine, but false worship, and then finally, false motives. What's that mean? Trying to deceive God. Uh, of course, you know that this doesn't work. To make a false pretense in your relationship with God is an interesting topic, isn't it? Uh, there, there's no way it can be done, and yet people try it every single week in corporate worship. T to sit here with a song on your lip and a callous on your heart deceives only humans. And, and yet, we continue in the charade. So we have these things that we need to put far from us, false ways in respect to God. Secondly, false ways in respect to man. What's that mean? Well, we're, we're, all, we're all familiar with this. We all know what a lie is, right? Um, Colossians 3.9, we heard this earlier. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Now, why did Paul have to tell Christians to not lie to each other? Here's why. Because they do it a lot. <laughs> it, it comes so naturally to us. It's part of the old nature that's being deconstructed by the Holy Spirit. This is something that that it's our, our language to be lying. We're, we're told to put off the old and put on the new. Um, and there's, there's different uh, nuances of lying. And a lot of times we can, we can wiggle our way into a particular nuance to convince ourselves that we have not lied. When in fact, we lie more than we think. How do we lie to one another? Well, we, like I've just said, a false statement with a deliberate intent to deceive is a flat-out lie. We know that. But what about when we, when we convey a false impression? Is that a lie? You don't say anything. You just convey a false impression. I think that would fall into a false way category. I think it's easy to mislead people into thinking something is that really isn't, or vice versa. We actually get pretty good at this. Uh, the psalmist wants to make sure, though, that we consider this as a false way. We, we call this hypocrisy, I think. And it's one of the easiest and most common ways to deceive one another. And yet, it's one of the most despised vices that we know of. To call someone a hypocrite is like almost a low blow, isn't it? This is surprising a bit because we're all hypocrites. You, you'd think that hypocrisy would be viewed more favorably since we're all hypocrites. <laughs> but we really disdain those folks, don't we? Those hypocrites. Um, so false ways in relation to man are in view. Then there's false ways in relation to Satan. Now think about this with me. False ways in relation to God, false ways with relation to, or with respect to man, and then false ways with respect to Satan. Lies that we, we hear from Satan regularly is what I'm thinking about. Uh, false ways 
um, promise all sorts of things, don't they? Uh, that's the only way that false ways gain a following. If false ways spoke the truth, no one would follow. Uh, the only reason that we bite on temptation is because in our moment of weakness, we believe the promise of the world over the promise of God. We, we believe a lie. Satan knows your weaknesses, and he strikes when you're vulnerable. He, he doesn't waste his arrows, and he's very accurate with them. We read this from the apostle Peter, who knew a thing or two, or two about falling into temptation. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You, friends, we're not... We're not on a, on a vacation walking on, you know, some down by the, the sea, picking up seashells. We're in a jungle, and there's lions everywhere. Um, Satan aims, of course, his arrows at our lusts. We all have them. And lusts are deceitful because they promise what they never perform. And we've all experienced this. I'm speaking to people with experience. Lust promise comfort and satisfaction, and without exception, they disappoint, don't they? They lie. They, they, they are false ways. And we need to just say this. False ways are nothing but sinful ways. Okay? That's in view in this verse. And to think about how this all began, mankind saw this in the Garden of Eden, didn't they? This deception, this um, um, aiming at lusts. When Satan lied to Eve in the garden, this is exactly what, ha what happened. And we see this again in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Speaking of those who have taken a bite. It says, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And you know, this lie in Romans 1 is the same lie that Eve heard in the Garden of Eden. It's the same lie that you hear every day. What's the lie? You don't need God. I think you're smart enough to make this decision yourself. You know, this, you only live once. Um, look out for number one. It's the lie that Eve heard. It's the lie that Paul wrote to the Romans. It's the lie that you hear every single day. It's the same lie. It's false ways produced by Satan. And what did Jesus call Satan in John 8? The father of lies. Right? So he, he produces them. And the world sells his wares. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? This will satisfy. This will even satisfy more. And and. As far as we are, we continue to buy. <laughs> we keep buying stuff. As long as it's shiny. You see, the, the world, our own flesh, and our enemy, the devil, combine in their insidious skills in an attempt to disrupt the work of God in the lives of his people. Satan... Our sin nature and this world want nothing to do with the deconstruction of your sinful self and the construction of Christ-likeness. This is the battle we're in. 
says this in 2 Corinthians. Paul's speaking to uh, these folks who were struggling. He said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Nothing changes. Satan also is active in deceiving the world, even those who don't know God. He's interested in keeping them from knowing God. He says this to the same group of people. In chapter 4, he says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Who's the God of this world? Satan. In, the, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And how does Satan go about doing this? How does he blind the minds of unbelievers? He lies to them the same way he lies to us. The only difference between them and us is we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We can distinguish the lie. They cannot. And, and this spirit that dwells within us is the spirit of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who is the truth, then you're able to see. You're able to see the lies for what they are and turn from them. <clears throat> now we must, the point here is that there are false ways and we must separate ourselves from them. We must plead with God to put us far from them. And this takes us to the second point, the removal of these things. How do we do it? We know it needs to be done. How does it happen? How do you go about separating yourself from false ways? How do you stop being a hypocrite? How do you stop misleading people in your family that you love? How do you stop believing the lies of this world? We live in a swamp of false ways. How do we get out? And I say this because this is what Scripture says. God deals with our sins in two ways. Through justification, that is being made right with God, being declared righteous, by faith in Jesus Christ, through being justified by God himself. And then secondly, through sanctification. Two big Christian words. Justification, being made right with God, being declared righteous by God, the only judge. And then secondly, sanctification. What is that? To set apart for God, to be cleaned up, to be um, conformed to the image of Jesus. It's a process. You, if you're a Christian, are in this process. You, if you're a sojourner, are being sanctified daily. You are being constructed into the image of Christ and your, and your sinful nature is being destructed, both at the same time. This is how God deals with sin, justification, sanctification. So putting false ways far from us is the process that we find ourselves in right now. Uh, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And so the only way to remove false ways from your life is first by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you turned your back on your own efforts to clean up shop? Have, have, you, have you hit a dead end on that road yet? 
Have, are you ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the only truth? That's the only way that we can remove false ways from our life. And then, once we've done that, begin to slowly but surely fill the reservoir of our soul with the word of God, the truth of God, the truth that transforms us. All other methods, of course, to eradicate false ways are met with failure because there's no power in them. Well, you may see a blip or two on the screen that makes you feel good about your efforts, but there's no core transformation. That only comes through the justifying work of the Holy Spirit by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. So let's look at the Word of God. What did Jesus say about this? How important is the Word of God to Jesus? He says this in his prayer to the Father in John 17. Sanctify them. Who's them? You and me. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Jesus thought that the only way to be transformed into his image was by us being saturated with the Word of God. When Paul was instructing the Colossian church, about what a spirit-directed life looks like, he said some very important things that every Christian should know, and you heard him read this morning. But in case you've already forgotten, let's turn there. Put your finger in Psalm 119, flip over to Colossians. That's in the New Testament, New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3. He says this, <clears throat> If then you've been raised with Christ, if you've been justified, okay, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are below. Consider construction and destruction. Verse 3, for you have died destruction and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Construction. Now look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, destruction, what is in earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness and idolatry. Put to death those things. Destruct them. Verse 9 and 10. Do not lie. There's that word, falseness. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off uh, the old self with its practices. Destruction, verse 10. And have put on the new self, construction which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Now, look at verse 16. Here's where we're coming to my point. We're coming to my point. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So after all this talk of construction and destruction, the process of the spiritual life, the, the growing in Christ, Paul says this in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Jesus thought, the word of God was important to the destruction and construction of your spiritual life. Paul thought it was critically important. It must be. Again, here, I'm trying to convince you that the progress in the life of faith doesn't happen outside the intake of the word of God. And, and this is what Psalm 119 is about from beginning to end. 
It's the wellspring, that is the word of God, is the wellspring of spiritual life. It is the source of joy, comfort, help, guidance, delight, peace, encouragement, hope, knowledge, wisdom. All these things are spoken of in Psalm 119. That's a claim to the word of God. The word of God is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring about your conversion. Why are you a believer? You didn't become one without the word of God. Paul said that the word of God makes you wise unto salvation. It's what saves you. It's what transforms you. It may sound almost like a magic wand, doesn't it? You get this thing out in the morning and you do this kind of stuff and something magical is going to happen, right? Maybe get a, have a better day if I just wave this book over my head. Now, it's not a magic wand, but it is God's word. And God cannot lie. And so when he says it is the things he says it is, it's almost like a magic wand. Isn't it? If there's anything magic about it, it's, it's this. It's, it's God's promises. And he works through his word with the power of the Spirit to accomplish those promises in your life. His word brings about the knowledge of God. It brings about his salvation. It brings about the forgiveness of sin, the growth in spiritual life. And you may be sitting here and think, well, I don't understand it. It doesn't matter. Read it. It's the Word of God. Well, uh, it, it's kind of boring. Read it. It's the Word of God. I don't see any progress. Read it. It's the Word of God. So, how do we, how do we go about removing false ways from us, from ourselves? The Word of God, it says. Look at verse 29 in Psalm 119. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. How do, you, how do you put false ways from you, from yourself? God's word. Secondly, again, look at verse 29. By graciously teaching me your law. This is the next point. Gracious teaching of the word of God. See, being in a church under the gospel-centered, grace-driven teaching of the Word of God is the best possible environment to receive God's help. Let me say that again. Being in a church under the gospel-centered, grace-driven teaching of the Word of God is the best possible environment to receive God's help. Gracious teaching is powerful. It's a weapon against the practice of sin against false ways. Trying to change a sinful habit through the application of legalistic teaching is an exercise in frustration. And I speak from experience here. The truth is there, even when you teach legalistically, but there is no power because there's no grace in teaching legalistically. True Freeing change comes only through the gracious teaching of God's word. There has been a time in my ministry personally where I thought all I needed to do was get up here with a big stick. And the bigger the stick, the better. And, 
hammer on you about the Word of God and the importance of doing it. I have since been convinced otherwise. I'm here to graciously convince you by showing you Christ. And whose word is this? It's Christ. So I simply have to be faithful in teaching you the gracious words of Christ and you will begin to transform into his likeness. You have set my heart free. Verse 32 says, I will run in the way of your commandments for you have set my heart free. You think, well, my translation, the ESV, the extra special version, um, says, when you enlarge my heart. Now, how many of your ESV translations say, when you enlarge my heart? All of them say that. All right. But there's a little number next to that phrase, isn't there, in your Bible? And that number, if you go down and follow it to the bottom of your page, you will see a little alternate translation. Or, for you have set my heart free. So there is so much similarity between the phrase, when you enlarge my heart, and for you have set my heart free, the translators didn't know how to, which one to choose. So, I will run in the way of your commandments because you have set my heart free. Yeah, the gracious teaching of the Word of God. Now let's look at the, the final way to um, deal with the sin in our life, to remove false ways from us. We have the Word of God we have the gracious teaching of the Word of God. And finally, I want you to see the commitments of the heart. And this is from verses 30 through 32. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies. Verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments. This is a summary of the pursuit of holiness. This is a summary of chasing Jesus. I will choose the way of faithfulness. I will cling to your testimonies. I will run in the way of your commandments. Thomas Manton said, For wherever we see wandering eyes, wandering feet, and wandering tongue, all flow from a heart that has taken its own liberty in wandering from God. This is why the psalmist, not the psalmist, but the, the teacher in Proverbs 4 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Protect your heart, is what the teacher says in Proverbs 4. So let's, let's consider the commitments of the heart. Um, what must those commitments of our heart be if we're going to put false ways far from us? If we're going to see the construction of Christ's likeness in our lives, if we're going to see the destruction of our sinful nature, what are some of the commitments of our heart? There's three. I just read them for you. Verse 30, 31, and 32. I have chosen, choosing the way of faithfulness. Uh, of course, the English Standard Version uh, translate it, translates it faithfulness. The King James translates it truth. And I like that translation because it's a great contrast to false. 
truth versus false. To put false ways from you, you must cling to the truth. Doesn't that make sense? That's what's being said here. Uh, It's choosing God's ways over false ways, choosing truth over falseness. there's There's only two ways which you can choose, friends. There's not a third, there's two, either truth or false. The false way is our natural bent. It, it, we don't really actually have to choose to follow that path. We're on it. We're born on that path. And we continue on that path until a work of God's grace enters our soul. Prior to that miracle of grace, our lives um, are filled with consistence in um, choosing the way of falseness. In fact, the ability to choose the way of truth is severely limited before we know Christ. Choosing the way of faithfulness and truth is only something we can do with the help and strength of God through his spirit, helping us understand the word. This is what the psalmist says in chapter 32. God is speaking. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. A sincere, friends, listen to this, a sincere desire to have false ways removed is so critical. Do you desire that? I mean, I would hope that in a moment of, of seriousness and quietness, you would say, yes, I, I want false ways removed. As fun as false ways can be at times, I truly do want them removed from my life. If that is your heart, if that's the cry of your heart, then this is a great indication that you've already chosen the way of truth. Because until God um, inserts truth into you, inserts life into you through the uh, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, you have no interest in the truth other than to impress people with your knowledge. You have interest in false ways, and so if you can say with your, uh, your heart, I truly do want to put false ways far from me, that's a very good indication that the, the spirit of truth resides within you. Um, many reject the way of truth in favor of the way of faultless simply because the way of truth is a sacrifice. It, it requires us to fight against our natural bent against the wide road, the easy path, the one that we find ourselves on. Um, To choose the way of truth over the way of falseness is choosing God's agenda over your own agenda. And many people just aren't willing to do it, especially considering the reality that until the Holy Spirit's present, they can't do it. Listen to how Paul considered this decision. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That, that's worldly gain, the false way. Whatever, whatever's, on that, whatever's in that column, all right, gain, false ways, worldly ways, he says he counted loss for the sake of Christ. And everything in that column, false ways, doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's bad and ugly and, and super harmful. It's, it's, it's things that can distract you from God that are good. All right, so, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of 
Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's doing a comparison right in front of us here. False versus true. For, and for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's made his decision. I'm going to follow Christ. You see, the choice here has been established. Uh, but the question remains yours. Will you continue to choose the false way that you have personally proven to be false and unfulfilling, or will you choose the way of truth? You see, choosing the way of truth is the bent of every person who has a new heart. It's the bent of the soul for every converted man and woman and child. To habitually see the false way and the false path of choice demonstrates the opposite, of course, which is the absence of God and his influence in daily life. We have personally experienced these things if we've been in the Christian life for really any length of time. We've seen the deceitfulness of sin. We've seen the dis disappointment that comes when we fall into a false way. Um, you know, it, we, we see it when we don't have this prayer on our lips, verse 29. Um, and uh, we've known the struggle. And it is a struggle, isn't it? I'm not up here telling you, oh, you just choose the way of truth and you're going to have just a wonderful walk with Jesus to glory. Now, that's not the case. Um, but if you've known the struggle of sin and, and the disappointment of following that and, and following your own agenda, uh, and, and then on the other hand, you've seen Christ and you've seen his forgiveness, then verse 29 through 32 resonates with your soul, doesn't it? This is your prayer. And then secondly, in verse 30 says that, or verse 31, it says, I cling to your testimonies. Friends, there's nothing else to cling to. That, that's all there is. There's, you either cling to false ways or true ways, your own agenda or God's agenda. And cling means cling. It's like clinging to a flotation device after a shipwreck. You know that's your only hope. If I let go of this piece of wood, I'm, I'm going to drown. That's what this means. Clinging to the way of faithfulness. Clinging to the word of God. If this doesn't float, I'm doomed. That's the idea of verse 31. And then thirdly, running in the way of God's commands. You see, clinging to and running in the way of truth is not an easy path. I could, get, I could call people out of the audience right now, impromptu testimony, and they would tell you what I'm telling you right now. This is not an easy path. It's, it's narrow. It's rugged, full of challenges. And we're regularly going to encounter a world that's not friendly towards sojourners who make this their path. Um, but we have hope, don't we? We have a Savior who's walked before us. Uh, we have a Savior who's promised to be with us. 
I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, we have promises in God's word like Philippians 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. You can do it because God is at work in you. And then from the Old Testament, Isaiah 41. Are you afraid of this? Are you, this these, the pressure's a lot. It says this, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. What wonderful promises for a sojourner. So, where's your heart this morning? Is this the cry of your heart? Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your ways. I'm going to choose the way of faithfulness. I'm going to cling to your testimonies. I'm going to run in the way of your commandments because you have set my heart free. Let's pray. God, I know that in this room there are, are no doubt many in the middle of the struggle. There are many who here have seen dark days and uh, turmoil and maybe even feel like they're at the end of their rope when it comes to this battle. God, your promises remain true. Your word is truth. And I know that you use that word to, to change us into Christ's likeness, to construct the image of Christ in each of us and destruct the sin nature. God, I pray that you would fulfill those promises to everyone in this room who claims them. Everyone who knows Christ, who has the spirit of truth living within them, I pray that you would work out these things in them today, that they would begin to see the promises of hope, the promises of victory, the, the, the hope of, a, of a, a walk of joy and fulfillment and peace, even in the midst of difficulty and hardship. God, do your work in us because we need you to do that. Without you, we can do nothing. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.